Welcome to the Secret to My Success Show. Our guests will inspire, educate, and motivate our listeners who own a business or dream about being a business owner. Today's guests will share their stories and the secrets to their success. They have valuable insight with what they went through to start and grow their business. They will share the good, the bad, and the ugly. I promise it will be fun and valuable. Later in the show, former Major League Baseball player Luis Alaseo will be here talking to former celebrities and athletes about their transition from fame to being hands-on business owners. Good day, this is Alan, secret to my success. Luis is once again A-O-L, A-W-O-L, absent without whatever it is. He's gone. And we have a guest DJ coming in or co-host that should be here relatively soon, but we're not going to hold up the works. We have an incredible guest from Carolina Architectural Lighting and Design, Brent. Thanks for yes, being sir. with us. Um, uh, thanks for having me. I, uh, uh, new experience for me, so um, uh, just glad to be here. And it sounds like I'm uh, third string uh, with your uh, your guests, and that's that's perfectly fine. It's uh, so no no no. You're not third string at all. You are definitely first string. Third string are my fellow co-hosts that actually host the show. They yep. are second and third string. So, no, no, no. You are first string. Awesome. Well, um, just fire away. Let me know um, what I can share with the group, um, and um, I'd be more than happy to. So, one, I don't want you to be nervous. We're just going to have some really fun, candid conversations. So, are you by yourself flying solo, or you have somebody else or anybody else over there uh, with you? Just little on me. Um, I um, uh, closed off the door, so it's uh, you know we, we can we can talk uh, about anything, um, and um, yep, so I'm good to go. So let's start with you. Where are you from? Grew up on a, a, a small farming uh, in a small farming community in uh, West Tennessee, and um, and, and West End of what city? West uh, Lexington, Tennessee, West Tennessee. Okay. Um, I, I, I like to say, growing up, we had more cattle than people in the county, and uh, um, we had paved roads, and we had a couple red lights. And I was in college when they finally got a ATM machine, so it was uh, um, a, a different experience from a lot of uh, what a lot of folks have now. I remember when I was like in second grade, and they were saying that. People aren't going to use money. It's going to be a little plastic card, and you're going to be able to pay for things. And I said, that's crazy. It's never going to happen. And look at this now. How many people actually carry cash? And when you had a card uh, back back in the day, I say that, uh, 80s, 90s, what have you, I mean, it, it, was, uh, it was a big deal. Um, and, um, um, you know, cash, cash is king, and, and people carried a lot of cash. Right. Uh, it paid for things in cash, and now that's kind of a, uh, an old baby boomer slash one of my Gen X uh, uh, type of interaction. So where'd you go to college? University of Tennessee, Knoxville, um, 91, graduated high school, went to college, um, wanted to do something technical. Electrical engineering is what I settled on day one. And after six wonderful years of fraternity life and trying to be an engineer, they finally gave me a degree. And uh, I was recruited by a company in the current industry that I'm in. Um, so it, um, 
and I was shy when I went to college. I, I was not necessarily a leader or any of that. But, yeah, but uh, most engineers are like that. That's kind of, I have a son who's an engineer, <clears throat> and I, I'll call him up and say, Michael, what are you doing? Nothing. So, you know, they ask us for feedback whenever you leave college. They say, hey, you, well, number one, we want money from you as an alumni. Number two, tell us what you think about the programs you had in college that led to your success. And I'd been out for a couple of years, and I said, well, I'll tell you the one thing that we never did in engineering classes is we never had to present our product or solution or or anything in front of the class. It was always turning in a paper or, or, or a piece of hardware that you built in a lab. And um, I didn't realize this until I had to get up in front of a group at my first job and do similar to what we're talking about now. Where are you from? What are your interests, hobbies, and whatever. And college didn't prepare me for that. So what was your first job? Um, out of college, or do we want to talk about... Out of college. Hey, We're not going to go all okay. the way back to the lemonade stand. So let's talk about out of college, first job. Uh, out of college, recruited by a, um, uh, I think now is the largest lighting manufacturer in the United States. Um, they picked up on my resume the fact that I had worked for a company that made a component that went in their light fixtures. And quite honestly, I'd never heard of this large manufacturer before. I thought everyone bought their products from Home Depot. And if they want to interview me, that's great. I'm flattered. And so I walked into the interview and met their recruiter, and I explained what I did in my co-op days uh, in the summers that I was home from college. I was an engineering co-op student, and she... (laughs) The lady's name is Marsha. We called her Mother Marsha because she really took a genuine interest in us. And she liked the technical as well as she liked the fact that I was part of a fraternity and had to uh, navigate that lifestyle while trying to actually go to class. And uh, that's where the the sales side of me came out was uh, that experience. And she picked up on it, and I had a job offer – you know, a couple of months later, been in lighting ever since. So, How many years did you work seven. for that company? Well, in our business, you work for a company, um, and then you might leave for a year or two and then come back. And then you might, you know, it's, it's, uh, it seems like a three year cycle, but, uh, I think I spent 97 to 2000 there, uh, left, uh, for maybe two years, three years, and then came back. Um, one of the one of the uh, problems with um, being out of college and thinking you're worth more than you're paid, and someone else offering just a little bit more, just more opportunity. I wanted to travel, and and that's what lured me away from the first company was I wanted to travel. I was single. I thought that was the uh, the lifestyle that uh, at, at my stage in life that would be best for me it's fun until you have to do it every week it'll kill you and i mean the the missed flights and the food that you end up eating and i don't know it's you always think you're going to go and hit the hotel gym and and do all these wonderful things and you don't right Uh, 
I commuted yeah. from Florida to Philadelphia Monday through Friday. So you'd go from well, 4 degrees to 85 degrees and talk about just messing you up. I will tell you this. I read a lot of good books. <laughs> okay. And uh, I actually, you know, uh, the, um, uh, the, the self-help books or whatever else, um, the, I started out with those. And then uh, a, a good book, uh, Good to Great, Built to Last, uh, that whole uh, um, um, genre of talking about business leaders and everything. So uh, luckily leadership was taught in my first company. They had classes that taught leadership, presentation skills, um, how to converse with customers, how to diffuse situations. None of that was covered in college. No, absolutely not. Not and even close. Probably not now either. So let's get back to you and not bash the entire college system because we could do that for hours. But let's yep. talk to you. What made you make the jump? And I mean that big jump from a guaranteed paycheck to going out on your own. All right. So I was in my early 30s. I had just finished. I just had my first son. Uh, I I had just finished my MBA. I went and got an executive MBA at Mercer University in Georgia. And I got to the end of it saying, hey, I can move to Chicago where the current manufacturer that I was a salesperson for and move up that ladder, or I can be a small business owner. And I had what I learned in the MBA program to go either direction. And my wife and I wanted to stay and raise a family, and we felt the best place to do that would be closer to family and in the South. And um, I coincidentally, it happened that uh, I got a phone call on a New Year's Eve. And um, I had mentioned my dream of being a small business owner to a person that had been in the industry 20 years longer than me. And he had heard someone was looking, a major manufacturer was looking for a person to come in and just start from scratch and start a sales organization from scratch, a little bit of funding, some guidance, and um, the next 24 hours, uh, 48 hours, I had my wife's. In the car, we had a babysitter. We went to uh, the town that I'm currently in to check it out. So we jumped on it. Okay. And, and uh, how'd that go? Um, huh. It was, uh, you know, kind of a too good to be true. Um, the city is awesome. It's growing. This manufacturer really uh, had uh, made a compelling case to to shift from what I was doing. Where they, I mean, I was hitting my sales numbers. We had great products when I worked for this other manufacturer in Chicago. And it was a really, uh, um, from a small business perspective, they were the best. And I hated to leave them. Uh, but at that age, if you're going to do it, that was the time. Um, I, read a, I read an article, I think, uh, this morning uh, from Inc., uh, magazine talking about the golden question. Have you heard of that? The golden question. No, not the golden rule, but the golden question. And it's right. something about what to think about your decisions and how they'll affect you today, tomorrow, a week, a year, you know, five years down the road, whatever. And 
if I was ever going to be a business owner, I had to do it in my early 30s. So we left. We went up there. Within 30 days, I created a business plan, which I'd never done before, and started the process of trying to build a sales organization from scratch. I had a mentor there. Um, his name's Paul. Paul um, had started an agency before in a different city, and I sat next to him. And I, I could ask him questions, but I started my private company inside of this large manufacturer's headquarters. I didn't have money for rent. I didn't have internet search. I didn't have anything, but they said, hey, here's a space. Here's a resource for you. Tell us what you need. Okay. And so um, I, I don't want to say it was low risk, but I didn't go into debt starting the company. Okay, but it seemed like it was a mutually beneficial relationship that you set up with this company that you were helping to sell their products, correct? That's right. They, um, our, our industry is really um, unique in the way that they don't, uh, things are sold. You have a factory that builds it, but they don't have a sales force. So they hire a private sales force that sells to people that buy it directly from the factory. And the person doing the selling, the agent, myself, we never take possession of the money or the product. We're paid a commission check on the backside. And, you know, they want local organizations to do the selling because we know uh, the, the individual market dynamics the best. And did, um, did they make you exclusively sell their product when you were set up in their location? Another um, uh, tough um aspect of our business is you have one major brand that you we call it a conglomerate and um that was the organization that uh had helped me with this opportunity and yes there's an expectation and contractually that um you're not going to promote other direct competitors so adding ancillary lines to what we call a line card is a careful and delicate process, um, and you're honestly trying to keep everyone happy um, and not offend anyone uh, or not, uh, you know, cause any discord with the people that are currently on your line card. So we went from, you know, 10, 12 lines, 14 lines, whatever, to we're over 120 lines now. So once again, 120 lines, when you now versus the 10 was that with just that one manufacturer now that's correct do you get to pick that's and correct. choose the manufacturers that best suit the needs of your customers yeah um well yeah there's a, um we we pick we choose we interview for we we uh we try to go after lines that we think would be a good addition to what we have because at the end of the day we want to have the best manufacturers competitively priced, and we quote the entire project. So a school, here's your price. Hospital, here's your price. So give me an example of a school project and a hospital project. What are you doing? Um, last set of schools we did were uh, LED upsets. Um, funding had come down for redoing all the schools in our county, and um, 
it was exterior lighting, parking lot lighting, interior lighting, um, you know, we call them troppers and down lights and suspended lighting, and then uh, lighting controls, uh, energy codes required, um, dimmers, photocells, that kind of thing. And we provide a complete price of the material, all of it, to a distributor who provides that price with his conduit and wire and panel boards or anything else that they need to provide electrically to an electrical contractor. And So would you uh, say it's safe to say that nobody gets excited about lighting until it's dark? You know, I would not say that. <laughs> okay. Let's hear the engineering version of that. Well, the lighting, remember, there's an architect involved in most every project, um, and the lighting is the, um, how about eye candy? or the jewelry of, of a building. And you don't think about it maybe obviously as much, as much as I do, because I walk in, I look up, most people look at the products on the shelves or whatever else, but lighting makes a statement and without good lighting, you don't have good architecture and so forth. So, um, it's important, especially in the lobby. It's important for safety. Um, and it's the hardest thing electrically on a project because, there's so many options for lighting. You can go in so many directions in choosing what you use where. Brent, and that's why I got to tell you, I have a daughter who works for Sony, and yep. she is a programmer, software developer. That when you go into a room for a game, all she does is put lights in so that it looks real or more real and changes different views. It's kind of interesting. And I thought it was crazy that somebody was going to pay her just to put lights on video games. So I can see where you're saying that lighting physically is a whole lot different than a lot of people think just throw a light bulb up somewhere. Well, there, there's some people that say, Hey, if you have this much light and it's this particular type of light, meaning it's more blue or yellow or whatever else you get more productivity. And, 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 um, I'm not a, I don't use that as a sales pitch. I, uh, some people do and that's fine. But, um, our needs are really to save energy and to produce the right amount of light to meet whatever the requirements, and then also give the architect a little bit of signature, uh, uh, the ability to have a signature look um, of something that they have designed, and we end up being a part of that. So, um, yes, I'm probably a lot more excited than you are about lighting. <laughs> so, Brett, let's talk about your business. How many people do you have working for you? Mm, uh, 24, some part-time, um, you know, some consultant, uh, uh, aspect to that. And, uh, so it started out with one, me, and then, uh, that was 2009 to 24. Biggest obstacles to growing your business. It sounds like you got into a nice place to start working at this one place, not having to worry about a desk, a chair, a computer, all that stuff. Well, biggest obstacle to growing in business is so when I was in the uh, corporate offices um, it that's great and and I but at some point the college kid needs to move out and not live in the parents basement playing video games and actually has to get his own health insurance car insurance what have you and uh, for a couple reasons I found that uh, realized that in 2011 ish um, so to, after two years of living with the in-laws, uh, it, I saw a need to move out. So major decision, leaving the nest, 
being afraid to get out and actually um, be by yourself. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I was stressing over that, thinking about all the resources I had for free, but the benefits of being truly independent outweighed that. Next thing is staffing. We're very specialized in what we need in our uh, our folks, our employees. And finding a person that you knew would um, stick around, that would represent your, your new company, and generate sales and not make mistakes. Um, then as the volume comes up, this person becomes busier, busier. And it's determining the time to add a new headcount to lessen the frustration of that person because you don't need them to get so frustrated that they leave. You know, they're just tired of it. So for me, that was probably the hardest part is, you know, looking and saying, all right, well, now's the time. It wasn't, it wasn't like an Excel formula that we engineers love that says, Oh, today's the day you need to add someone. Right. And so growth, knowing, um, how much workload your folks have, and then knowing what's coming in um, as far as sales in the future. Um, it's not, it's, it's tough to, you know, it's not a uh, commodity per se. Um, and we are beholden to the construction industry. So forecasting really tough. And I wish I could say that I had a, a handle on that. Um, but so, Brent, tell me, what is your secret to success? What has made you different from anybody else that's in your area that's doing what you do? Secret to success in the beginning was learning how to do many different aspects of the company yourself and be able to make sure that it was being done right when you finally decided to delegate. Delegate's very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would say the only time I've ever grown as a company, and we have a couple different stair steps, is when I actually have the guts to let go of something and feel good about the, the next person doing as good or better job eventually because they could focus on it. You're, you're only good at what you focus on. If you're not focusing on the HR side and you're only focusing on sales because you want to try to be a manager and a salesman, uh, long term you're going to fail. So the biggest problem is there's only X amount of hours in a day. And if you're spending a lot of time doing things that other people could be doing better than you, and you can focus on the things that generate the most amount of money for your business or the most productivity for your business, a lot of people lose sight of that and they're not in a position to delegate. They try and do everything. And it, you know the formula for failure. So I wish someone had sat down with me many, many moons ago and said, all right, you're focusing on this one thing right now, Brent. That's great, you know, but, you know, folks, you know, and I'm ADHD, I'll hyper-focus on something to uh, no end, and I need to move on and say, hey, that's something that's yeah, it's good that you considered that. But really, you need to be looking at this thing more than 24 hours away from where you are now. I was not thinking a month ahead, a year ahead. You're an engineer. It's natural to do it the way you did it. So. Brent, we're actually running out of time, but I've got a question. Tell me about the first customer you finally said, I've had enough. I'm done. Go find somebody else. Oh, my goodness. This is bad. Um, Don't tell me who it is. Let's not call them out, but just think about that. Yeah, okay. I've got the person in mind. 
Um, what do you want to know about them? Why did you get rid of them? What made you say you're done? I, and my response to them is, I, I, I really uh, am thankful for this opportunity. Um, we are to a point now in this project that I, I don't have the expertise um, nor the ability to um, continue um, handling this problem. So, Brent, or real quick, it. how did it make you feel when you finally said in your mind, I'm done, and you got to tell them, go away? Um, it felt good knowing that I had the guts to tell someone no, and I have a hard time with that. I agree. All business owners, when they start, we want to be everything to everyone. And when you get to the point where you could say, sorry, that's not my wheelhouse, or I'm sorry, we're just not a fit, you need to go somewhere else. It's a really crucial part of being a successful business person. Agreed. So, Brett, we're actually running out of time. What I need to know is if somebody was interested, tell me the types of clients you serve. How can they reach you, your website, your phone number? Um, Caldi-lighting.com. Say that slow. Spell it. Sorry. C-A-L-D. And then a hyphen. And then the word lighting, all spelled out, dot com. And you'll see uh, uh, what we promote. And we only promote products in South Carolina. That's a lighting contractual thing. Uh, Appreciate the interest out of South Carolina, but that's where we we play uh, day in, day out. And uh, I... I love being a mentor. If someone wants to ask a question, Brent at Caldi-Lighting.com, I'll tell you, maybe it's, I'll tell you what not to do. How about that? Because I've been there, done that. Excellent. Brent, this went pretty fast, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And really the key to success, I would say, is at the very beginning of your business, above all else, try to find a good payroll service. Because... (laughs) That that will make or break you. Well, I tend to agree with that, Brent. More than you'd you know ever what? know. Yeah, and and, and you know, if, if you know of one, just pass them my way. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm looking forward to working with you. So Same here. You. I appreciate it, Brent. Well, I uh, appreciate the time and the opportunity, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You got it. Thank you. All right. See you. Bye. When it comes to health coverage, you want solid value from a trustworthy company you can rely on. Florida Blue offers Medicare Advantage plans that can help you get more out of your health coverage. And don't you want more? Call Apple Insurance, your local agency for Florida Blue, at 888-MY-BLUE-8 to have all your Medicare questions answered and learn about different options. Don't settle for less than the value and stability Florida Blue has delivered throughout the state of Florida to Medicare beneficiaries for more than 25 years. Value, security, knowledge, and trust. Blue Medicare from Florida Blue means more. Call Apple Insurance at 888-MY-BLUE-8 today to speak to a licensed agent about your Medicare Advantage options. That's 888-MY-BLUE-8. Apple Insurance and Florida Blue. Call 888-MY-BLUE-8 today. Florida Blue is an independent license of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Customers come to me for two reasons. They either want to buy a house or they want to sell a house. My name is Dawn Lee. I help anyone who is truly interested in buying a house get the home of their dreams. I help people who want to sell their house 
get their asking price. Putting all these transactions together is what I'm an expert at. My clients know that when they call me, I will do whatever it takes to get the job done. My name is Dawn Lee. I'm with Keller Williams of the Treasure Coast. You can reach me at 631-747-1061. That's 631-747-1061. Good day. This is Alan, Secret to My Success, and I get the honor of hanging out with my buddy, Dawn. Good morning, Alan, or good day. Good day. Good day, Dawn. Good day. I'm happy to be here. It's been a while since I've been in the studio with you guys. I know. And Louie's not here. Where's Louie? Louie's not here, and... What, the restraining order ended like two weeks ago, so we're able to <laughs> yeah, finally communicate yeah. again? Is yeah, that what yeah, it was? Yeah, that's it. Awesome. Exactly. We're so glad to have you back. Thank you. We missed you. Thank you. I miss you too. How's the uh, the side hustle going? The real estate business. The side hustle. It's good. Okay. It's good. Good. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Okay. We have a really special guest today. We actually have Elizabeth from Miami Top Cleaning. Elizabeth, are you there? I am here. No, I just picture you with a little hat and a toilet scrubbing brush and a bucket. And a bucket. Yeah. Right? Like Carol Burnett. Yes. Yeah. Carol Burnett. You're a little too young to know that, though. No, I loved Carol Burnett. Yeah. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, you enlightened me this morning that we actually grew up in the same hometown of good old East Hartford, Connecticut. Yes, we did. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a small world. It means that maybe two or three good things came out of Connecticut, and that's going to include you and I. At least two, yeah. Right? <laughs> that's funny. Trust me, not anything bad about East Hartford, but it is nowhere where you'd want to be living today. No. No, it, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty sad now. Yeah. <clears throat> Tough schools. But they have a great university over there, Goodwin University. UConn. UConn, Yes. See, it's funny. I used to work at Pratt Whitney when I was a kid in Rensselaer Field, which was an airfield, is now Rensselaer football field. My mother worked at Pratt Whitney for 10 years. Oh, really? What'd she do? Uh, she did some kind of accounting. Yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> that is so funny. So what people don't realize was in the back where that field was, they used to dump all these chemicals. Like behind the houses, you gotta wonder how many people weren't glowing on Brewer Street. But they had all these chemicals over there, and I don't think they could do anything with the land, so they covered it up and turned it into a football field and donated it to UConn, and that's where they play football. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, you could look it up. It's not a pretty thing. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about you. You moved out of East Hartford when you were seven. Tell me about the yes. path. Where'd you go? We went, we came to Pinellas County in Florida. Um, then we were in Sarasota. Then we went to Colorado. Then we came back to Pinellas County. Then I moved to Clearwater and then came here to Miami. Okay. That's a short, that's a short story. That's, that's a really, a yeah. yeah, it sounds like you kind of got lost on the way a couple times, right? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. I found my way around 23. <laughs> that is awesome. So you went to college. Yes, I went to college. I actually was a high school dropout. I ended up going to college, going back to school at 24 for my bachelor's. And then um, I finished that when I was 30. And then I went back for my master's and I got that when I was 36. Good wow. That's awesome. So where'd you get your master's from? Troy University. Okay. And I didn't realize I had a master's degree in commercial cleaning. No. <laughs> I don't have any degree in commercial cleaning. I actually, I cleaned houses as a second job from the time I was 
15. I was a certified pharmacy technician as a young a young person, and I cleaned houses on the side as a supplemental income. And then when I went back to school, I also started cleaning um, as a supplemental income. <clears throat> so I've cleaned basically my whole life. So- and um, I went to school to be a counselor. My bachelor's is in um, science of human behavior, and my master's is in counseling and psychology. And I have a license in mental health counseling. Um so obviously there's nothing to do with a cleaning business, but cleaning my way through college ended in me meeting somebody who had a cleaning company and marrying him, and it just kind of fell into our life. <laughs> so with that degree, I'm going to stop speaking because I don't think I need you to give me the evaluation of what's wrong. evaluate you, yeah. <laughs> right? I think we're going to let Don talk. Don, you must have something. Well, it, it, what, you answered one of my questions. What's what took you on the route to starting that cleaning business? And uh, so when I met, so when, when yeah. I met my husband, he actually has a master's in social work. So um, when he I does met not. him, he does. Really? Yeah, he does. <laughs> wow. Yeah. When I met him, I was counseling full time and cleaning part time, and he was cleaning full time and counseling part time. And when I moved to Miami, his business had just started about a year before I met him. And I was pretty unhappy with the job that I had transferred to Miami. Um, it, it was counseling. Like, I, I, love, I love counseling. It, it's my calling. I, that I can tell you for sure, which has nothing to do with what I'm doing with my life now. But um, God just called me to, 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 to tie, tie in my life with my husband a little bit more. Like, something led me to come into this business. And him and I started working together, and I feel like we've, we've built something um, way better than we ever expected. It wasn't – my husband is a go-getter. I'm very much like, hold on, let me think about all the possible terrible things that could happen, and then we'll go forward. And my husband's like, no, the answer is yes, we can do it. So I'm kind of just like he's dragging me along behind him, and I'm slowing him down a little bit. And it's, it's this yin and yang that kind of works for us, I think. I would think with uh, that with your degree and his degree, as you work for families and cleaning, you build some relationships. So I'm sure you've had uh, some maybe not even realizing therapy sessions, right, with some people as you're. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> you, should... you get close with them. I would think over years, right? I have a girlfriend. I have a few girlfriends <clears throat> who do cleaning, um, but they, you know, they seem like they get close and they have those personal conversations with people. No, I think they should change it. I think their philosophy should be not only will we clean your house but we're going to clean your mind while we're there no, doing it. What there, do you think? There you go. How about <laughs> that? The yeah. we have is for hoarding, honestly. We could do hoarding without any issues because we're both, we're both, that would be ideal as far as, as the skills that we have, but it would also be torture. <laughs> but we don't actually do residential. We only do commercial. Oh, that's good. That's, I mean, I guess that's, yeah. that's kind of takes away, gets the emotions out of it. So I'd be curious, what was your transition? So when you guys first started cleaning, you were cleaning yourself, right? You and your husband maybe I, I don't, doing... I wouldn't say they were cleaning themselves. Well, I mean, doing the work themselves. <laughs> we did that too. Doing okay, the work you. themselves. Yes. And then um, transitioning to where you have people working for you. Like, can you tell us about that journey? I'm not even sure I can tell you how it happened. It just kind of did. Um, Necessity. When I first moved here, my, my husband and I, I lived in Clearwater when we met, so I moved here to be with him. And he had the business going, and I remember being at work at my 9 to 5 every day and him being at home, like having lunches with his friends. And you know how it is to own your own business. You have a lot more freedom. And I remember envying that. And part of the motivation for me to come work for Miami Top was because I wanted that freedom. I wanted to know what that felt like. And 
pretty quickly after I came on board, that freedom was gone. We don't right. have that anymore. Right. It's constantly go, go, going, which means we're doing something right, but I missed out on that, that excitement. Anyway, um, the original question, I don't remember. So your transition, so, um, you know, to where oh you went from, say, actually doing the work yourself to having people. Now, I don't know where you're at now. I guess that would be, right? I should ask that question first, but how many people yeah, do you have no, yeah. working for you? We've, we currently have about 28 okay. um, on payroll. We've had as many as 40, um, but right now we're, we're pretty stable at, at 28. I can tell you when I first moved here, the weekends I would go do jobs with him, um, but he was doing more of the, the physical work than I was. He was working uh, Monday through Friday with his old business partner. They would go out and do a lot of jobs, and then they'd have a couple people with them um, and just get things finished. Um, And then as time went on, the the jobs became too many for just them to do. So we slowly started hiring on more people and it's just kind of evolved in that way. Residential became very um, tumultuous. So you were, there's no, you were doing residential to start. Did you start with residential? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was the intention in the beginning. Um, But we realized quickly that residential um, clients just don't understand the value of the job. It's, It's not just, running a feather duster like it's it's Mm -hmm. it's, there's a value to this industry and unfortunately in miami there's a lot of people that are willing to do it for ten dollars an hour because they don't have the proper insurance they're not even legal to work in the united states so it devalues what we're trying to do right so we realized that the money could be made in commercial because there's there's a need for licenses there's a need for legitimacy and, and we were able to establish that so how was that transition then from your commercial uh or from residential to commercial as far as how like like how we made that happen yeah we we stopped training people to do residential it sort of was slow because we had a lot of recurring residential clients um but we stopped hiring people and training them on residential so we only had by the time we were completely finished we only had one team left that even did residential there was we had two staff left on payroll that even were trained to do residential that we would trust to spend and when they left I called all of their clients and I let them know that we weren't going to be doing residential any longer. And COVID had a lot to do with that because, um, because staff was hard to come by and jobs were not because it was cleaning and people were dying because they weren't clean basically. So there was a, there was a high demand for the job and there wasn't a lot of people working. So we had to kind of make some, some, some brash changes and scary changes and it all worked out in the end. So you mentioned COVID. How did COVID affect your commercial accounts? You know, you're cleaning a bank. They tell you one person's got COVID, and they called you up and said, hurry. What'd you have to do? It was a nightmare. I, as, a, as a business owner, you want to protect your staff, and you want to be transparent with your staff as well as your clients. So I got with an attorney, and I, I kind of, like, created these documents where every 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 place I sent my staff had to sign a disclaimer saying that they would not put us at risk knowingly. And all of my staff had to sign a disclaimer saying that they understood that, that they may be exposed unknowingly. And then we had another disclaimer that they had to sign saying that they did or did not want to participate in an active COVID case because I would, I would pay, um, Mm. we would pay uh, hazard hazard pay for anybody that was willing to do a COVID job, like extra money. Uh, but we weren't going to make anybody do it that wasn't comfortable doing it. I was just trying to cover all the bases and protect my staff. At one point, we had a staff member whose roommate was positive, and we happened to have an efficiency that was vacant, and I put him in the efficiency so that I wouldn't expose my other staff and I wouldn't lose him as, as a worker. Like There was just so many things we had to do day by day to try to get through it without putting anybody at risk. 
So you're getting called last minute. I had an issue, problem at my facility, and you guys were running in there and you were doing what to a facility to clean it up so that others wouldn't be at risk. Yeah. It was very profitable for us because it was a matter of you had the machine that other people didn't have. So a job that would take, um, I don't know, let's say we were charging by the square foot. So let's say we had a 2,000 square foot place. It would average like 50 cents per square foot to do a COVID fogging. We would take the electrostatic machine in there, fog it up, and we would wipe things down after the 10 or 15 minutes that the EPA um, allotted. And then we would leave, but it would take us, it almost felt it almost felt bad, like taking the money, but it was it was the only way they could stay safe. So it was, and it was a competitive price. We were checking other places to make sure we weren't robbing anybody, um, and we were doing what people needed us to do. There were places that kept us doing COVID cleanings every day, recurring. We had an estimate at one point we didn't get it, but it was for the college where they wanted us to come and do a fogging on literally five hundred thousand square feet every single night. Can you tell us about it's the fogging? Like, what was that product? When you did the fogging, so you go in and you clean up for the COVID. What was that product that you had to use that killed COVID or whatever it did when you went in? And were your employees walking in there with hazmat suits to do it? No, oh, yeah. We have to have them in order to stay. Um, it, it all had to be EPA approved. So everything I was, I was going through and I was making sure that we had all the EPA guidelines covered because I'm always, I'm always thinking about lawsuits. I told you, I'm, I'm always worried and my husband's always just, let's go. <laughs> So we make sure we have all the all the proper PPE. Um, the disinfectant has to be EPA approved. There's many different kinds of disinfectants, um, right. and because of COVID, there was a, a shortage. So we had to make sure that we were ordering ahead. I currently have probably 50 gallons extra because I overordered because I didn't know it was going to end when it ended, um, or the need or desire was going to end when it ended. So. But it's, we use something called WePEC mostly, but if they ran out of that, I would just get anything that was on the EPA list. I want to step back. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that when it comes to all the stuff, you worry about it, and you listen to your husband saying, forget it, let's just do it, let's just do it, right? Right. So he wants to jump off the cliff and figure out when uh, he's going to make the wings before he hits the ground, and you want to make sure that you have wings and a, and a parachute. You want to make sure yeah. everything before you jump off the cliff, right? Yeah. He's overly ambitious, and I'm I'm overly cautious, and somehow that's the yin and yang. It just works with the two of us. We're able to make it work because I'm too much in one direction, and he's too much in the other direction, so we kind of balance each other out because we both respect each other's opinion. But you're still married, and you're still running a business together, and you have kind of <laughs> totally different you know, attitudes about things. How yeah, is sure. it that you guys can work through this? We have different hats. I think that him and I are pretty good at taking off the work hat at home. Okay. It's just, I, I become, I become a wife. I try to become a wife when I'm at home. He tries to become a husband when we're at home. Sometimes it'll bleed into family life, but for the most part, I think we're able to, any animosity that's been created based on a, a difference of opinion, we're able to kind of shake it off relatively quickly and remember that at the end of the day, this is just money and family is more important than that. Like this is okay. a business and we're going to do the best that we can by our employees, by our customers and by each other. But at the end of the day, we're, we're married and love and God come before that. So does he know? that at some point you're using your clinical experiences to manipulate him to do things uh, that you really yeah, need him to do. He's one. a social worker too, so yeah, but he's she, got hers a, is a little different. So, yeah. But <laughs> she would be smart enough to pick up when he's doing it. Now, does he know that you're actually doing this 
to him, for him, with him, to get him in oh, the yeah. same direction you want to be. Oh, no, for sure. No, he's, my husband's, you know, my husband's very smart. Yeah. He knows what's going on. I'll even say, I'm a very transparent person, Alan. I'm very much like, hey, I'm going to use my clinical skills here, or, you know, I'm paid to manipulate people. I spent 10 years in college learning how to manipulate people, and that's what's happening right now. And he'll be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, so. What do you want? I surrender, yeah. <laughs> I like so the big elephant in the back of the room is identified, you've named it, and you speak to this elephant when you're going 100%. through all this stuff. 100%. Okay. Yes, transparency is everything in our house. With my kid, with my husband, with my father-in-law, we all, everything is out in the open. Excellent. Your business. We always ask this question. I've got to ask. Tell me about the customer that you fired and how did it make you feel? Because at some point, especially with you having over 20 employees, there's some customer that you just hate. Especially in residential, I would think. I would think both, but residential. Residential was so liberating to let go of those clients. Some of them I really liked. So some of them it was difficult because I didn't want to let, I don't, first of all, even if I don't like somebody, I don't want to let them down. I'm a perfectionist, and I want to be able to make it work, and it's hard for me to accept when I can't. Um, but I had to transition my brain into the, into the reality that I was making it work for me. I just, just because I was letting them down didn't mean that I was letting us down. I was, I was actually building something for us and for our staff and not letting somebody down. And being able to, to transition into, like, hey, I was able to say it in a way of like, I hope you can be happy for us and refer out to somebody that did residential. Like here's somebody that can help you do doing residential, but we've, we've grown to a place where we can't do that any longer. So here's somebody that might be able to help you. And most of them were pretty, pretty fine about it. They were happy and, and, and complimentary and, and, and good luck type of conversations. But at the end of the day, when it was finished, I just felt lighter and liberated um, and hopeful because the profit on residential is nothing. That was, I have a girlfriend who does, she does cleaning. She's been doing it for years and years and years. And she's had uh, a couple girls here and there that have helped her out. But yesterday, actually, we just had a situation where the, uh, the door was locked differently, I guess, than what it normally is. There was a chain inside. One of the kids, um, had, you know, locked the door. So she, she couldn't get in. It took up like Mm -hmm. two hours of her time, right? By the time it got situated and, and the person got home and, she yesterday yep. she called me. She was so frustrated. She you know got by the time she got done with the job, she's and she a goes window. she goes like the extra mile, right? Like she'll do a little bit more and go above and beyond. But she's like, I'm just gonna go get a bottle of wine. But anyway, she her frustration was, and she said that the they didn't appreciate. You know, she didn't feel like appreciated, like the the work that she does and how hard she works and what she does for them. It was just like they weren't. They showed no appreciation, no gratitude, no anything. It was just like, oh, whatever, you know, oh, it's not a big deal, right? Like, just, it's yeah. not a big deal. And, and like, she was so, she was, like, so upset. And that's, you know, that is, uh, it seems to be a common, a common thing. And she's tried to 100%. kind of branch out or, like, you know, get it to a point maybe where she could grow or, or you know, and hire people. But just to find that spot in residential where um, it's profitable, right? And you had just said it's it's really... That's probably a hard thing to do, right? When you have somebody else mm-hmm. doing the work and make profits in it. Can you talk yeah. about, I guess? A girlfriend of mine has, has a, yes, I can. Uh. A girlfriend of mine has a residential cleaning company. She has had it for eight years. I started it with her. Um, and she's in Clearwater and she's, she's right now selling it. Like she, 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 at the, at the end of the day, what was happening for her is she was making about a 15% profit off of everything that she was putting out. And the amount of work that goes into sending out 10 girls every day right. to do two jobs each and for her to just be taking home 
peanuts. It, right. It's exhausting. You, you feel, even for me, what I've experienced is the only way for me to make money as a residential cleaner is for me to be making the money. Me not, not paying taxes on it, me just taking it under the table as a supplementary Enjoying income yeah. and not paying somebody else to do it. The profit is, is hard. And on top of it, you're unfortunately, it's, it's society views that as you're just to help. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, like, you know my staff, and I have one client that called up yelling and screaming for something that they didn't do. And I had to call this client and say, look, it's really, really simple. If you feel that you need to yell, scream, and swear, then you can call me. But I will never tolerate you talking to my employees this way, ever. They work right. way too hard for you and to do all the things that you need to be treated that way. And if you mm-hmm. don't want to agree to that, then you can find somebody else. If not, then like I said, if there's a problem, you can come to me. Right. In a situation like that, that you've got a trusted, valued employee, and you've had a situation where a customer is saying bad things about them, how have you had to handle it? I will always back my staff up. Um, I haven't been, off the top of my head, I can't think of a situation where I had to go to bat, like, like staff against client. Um, but to the client, I will always back my staff up. Even if in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that the client is saying something valid, I'm not going to invalidate what they're saying, but I'm going to tell them I believe that this person did the best they could. Some some way talk up my staff and then do the investigating and come back and deal with it. I do not. And I, I feel like my staff are my kids. So mm-hmm. I don't want anybody abusing them in any way. I have had situations where we've been in jobs where my staff has come to me and said they're taking advantage of them. And so they don't even realize they're being taken advantage of. They're telling me, you know, I'm like, why were you at this job an extra hour? Right. And they're saying, because they wanted me to do X, Y, and Z. And I have to call the client and be like, that's not how this is done. Yeah. Um, I have to call the client and be like, that's not how this is done. And, and if they won't back off, I have to pull out. I have, I can't put my staff is too, but I can't have a business without my staff. I can't. Elizabeth, where do you see yourself in the next 24 months? I mean, look, your business is your baby, you know, 24 months. Where do you think your baby's going to be? Where would you like to be? How about that? Like, what's your vision? You guys, I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Okay. <laughs> you could say it's so, slower. <laughs> I don't know if this is appropriate or not. You can, you can, you can decide for yourself, but I, I, God is my, is, is my, he, he wants me to be a counselor. He wants me somehow helping people. And I don't feel like I'm doing what I'm called to do right now. So I've considered ways that we could modify the business to possibly for me to stay doing this and doing that, like maybe do some kind of community cleanup, be able to hire felons, be able to um, do disaster relief type of things, maybe hire veterans. What a great idea. Yes. I think you have to do both. I think you'd say, I'm going to come in and counsel your brain. And while I'm there, one of my, one of my employees is going to clean, you know, your house. You, You could make some money doing that, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's hoard. You've seen hoarding, right? You've yes. seen the show yeah. hoarding. I have. Yeah. So that's basically we. My husband, you'll they'll bring in a specialist that does mental health, and they'll bring in another specialist that does cleaning. And my husband and I carry both of those in one. So it would only require one. But that's not something I want to do. Like I, I. So it sounds like I a non-for-profit help. type of thing, right? Like so, yeah. where you you would get, uh, yeah. Um, my vision would be to, to start there, to go not-for-profit. But you have to remember, you're only talking to me, and I'm only half of the equation. My husband is, is currently unavailable, and he, he has different ideas than I do. 
he, he sees some of the same things that I do and he doesn't see some of the same things that I do. So I don't ultimately know what's going to happen. I do believe Miami Top is going to thrive. <clears throat> Am I going to be in it full-time or part-time? That I don't know. Because I, I, there's something here in this world for me that involves helping on a different level than I am right now, whether that involves integrating the business or changing my, my, my daily routine. I'm not sure of right now. Elizabeth, there's no way that man's going to let you leave the business. You know it. I know it. It's just not going to happen. Leave it. I mean, I guess this is, you know, he, to me, right? Like you're in a partnership. I mean, I'm single now, but whatever. So, (laughs) but it doesn't matter. That's all irrelevant (laughs) to, um, you know, to, to support that dream. I mean, what a great, it's such a great idea. I think you should go for it and, you know, convince him you're that, right? The school for manipulating. Elizabeth, get him on your side. I don't want it to be said that on this show. Somebody talked you out of leaving the business, okay? Not leaving the business, incorporating. What I'm going to have a conversation with Donna. What she's talking <laughs> about is incorporating. I'm all for like helping people and supporting dreams, and you know. Elizabeth, on that note, we need to break this, but We're I out need of time. you to tell us how <laughs> for people to reach you for their commercial cleaning needs. How to reach us? Yes. Yes. Uh, Miami Top Cleaning at gmail.com. You can go to. Uh, Miami Top Cleaning online. If you can, if you're in Miami and you Google cleaning services near me, Miami Top is going to be one of the first three up there. You do this in Broward, don't you? It depends. Yes, it's not typically, but if it's a big job, then yeah, for sure we can. If you go to the website, it's, my, it's www.miamitopcleaning.com. Um, we are big enough to be able to handle a, a large jobs, but we're small enough for you to rest assured that you're going to be able to talk to some a human being within two to three hours of calling if it's during the work week. What's your phone number? The phone number for Miami Top is 786-444-3947. Usually I, myself, my husband, Ulysses, or our office manager, Vivian, will answer the phone. Beautiful. So I think we should have an, an updated interview, like in six months or maybe next year. We said 24. Okay, well, you know, we can do it in between, Check. I want to see how things are going. <laughs> Well, you're going to make me accountable. Okay. Uh, hey, accountability is great. That's it. Elizabeth, we can't thank, thank you. you enough. You've been awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much for being with guys. us. Thank you yeah. so much. I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Secret to My Success on Legends 100.3. When it comes to health coverage, you want solid value from a trustworthy company you can rely on. Florida Blue offers Medicare Advantage plans that can help you get more out of your health coverage. And don't you want more? Call Apple Insurance, your local agency for Florida Blue, at 888-MY-BLUE-8 to have all your Medicare questions answered and learn about different options. Don't settle for less than the value and stability Florida Blue has delivered throughout the state of Florida to Medicare beneficiaries for more than 25 years. Value, security, knowledge, and trust. Blue Medicare from Florida Blue means more. Call Apple Insurance at 888-MY-BLUE-8 today to speak to a licensed agent about your Medicare Advantage options. That's 888-MY-BLUE-8. Apple Insurance and Florida Blue. Call 888-MY-BLUE-8 today. Florida Blue is an independent license of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association.